Good morning. I hope you all feeling as good as I am, because I'm feeling good. Carry my stick around now. Instead of, I'm afraid to get off these stairs. <laughs> Wind up on my nose where I keep it close by. Um, last week when I stood up here, I had like a 50 things I wanted to say. And when I opened my mouth, they all ran together at the same time, and I forgot some important things. I would like to thank everyone who uh, showed interest when I was, uh, when I, I had a surgery the other day, my hip. I had a hip surgery the other day, and uh, folks called and uh, sent cards and sent food. It was good. Uh, and I'm, I'm very thankful for all that, and I know BR is. Um, about me, uh, it's not much. Uh, they fixed the hip, thing is beautiful. Uh, I still have a spine problem, of course, and uh, my feet, sometimes my feet, I can't feel them. I feel them a little bit, like right now, but sometimes I can't hardly feel them at all. And I gotta move around a little bit, and I get a little feeling back in them and I can get off the stage without hurting myself, but that's that, that's not a big deal. Uh, the pain's gone and I'm very happy. Anyway, let's talk about important things. David and Bathsheba, uh, most are probably at least somewhat familiar with the account of um, these historical characters uh, in the long ago, about 3,000 years ago, 2,900, 3,000, give or take. But uh, it's a story that most of us uh, are familiar with because it was uh, a black day in the life of David. As a matter of fact, when you study the Old Testament scriptures, the events of David up to this point were, were stories of victory. And then after the account with Bathsheba, from that time forward, everything started going downhill for David. Uh, a lot of internal uh, family problems, uh, a lot of problems in the government. Uh, things just got really bad for David. Uh, it's kind of the, uh, the, the climatic moment of his life when he climbed the hill and he started back down the hill. Uh, David and Bathsheba, uh, well, let's just read the account. The Bible says it better than I do. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version because it's a little more concise and uh, I don't have to do much, as much explaining, which I would like to avoid. So uh, let's see what we read. It's all accurate, of course. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, that's his general. He sent Joab and his servants with him and all of the Israelites. They ravaged the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah, that's the capital city of Ammon. But David, uh, for some reason, unbeknownst to us, decided to stay home. Uh, he's supposed to be in the battle. The kings always go out to battle, but this time David wasn't there. It happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch, probably taking a nap uh, late in the day. Uh, he rose from his couch. He started walking on the roof of his house, his palace, and he saw from the roof uh, a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful well what did David do well he saw her and of course there's a 
a moment you go through, but then when the moment uh, passes, you're supposed to look away. Uh, I've had it happen to me in India many times. You run up on somebody bathing, <laughs> go around behind the house for you know reasons, and uh, it might be somebody bathing. Well, what do you do? You turn around, and you leave. You give them their privacy. But David didn't do that. He kept he kept looking. He saw this woman, and when he saw her, she was very beautiful. He he started having a desire for her. Now, David had a harem full of wives. I mean, he didn't need a woman. He, <laughs> he was uh, surrounded by women, but not this woman. She was different. She was strange. She was new. And he sat there, and he watched her as she bathed. And boy, did he like what he saw. So much so that David sent and inquired about the woman. Who is this woman I'm looking at? And someone came back and told him, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David, I guess, couldn't get her out of his mind. Verse 4 says, he sent messengers and he took her. They didn't take her by force. He sent messengers. The king wants to see you. And uh, she most likely went. He's the king, after all. She came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. I've highlighted the word uncleanness because there's a lot of discussion over what the meaning of it is. She had gotten over her menstrual period and they go through a purification ritual afterwards. Well, why would this be mentioned in a parenthetical statement. Well, the point is she wasn't pregnant, okay? At this time, she wasn't present. When she lay with the king, she wasn't pregnant. Then she ret returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Well, that wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't supposed to happen. It was a one-time thing. It was over and done, and what was her name again? He didn't have any interest in her whatsoever. But he found out that she was pregnant, and that would be a problem because the child had to be his child. And this is something David really didn't want to have to deal with. So there was a cover-up. We know the cover-up. Uh, David, ultimately, when he couldn't get her husband Uriah, he brought him back from the battlefield. He wanted him to go in and be with his wife, and everybody would think it was his baby. Uriah was an honorable man. He wouldn't do it. All of his comrades were out fighting a war, and here he was at home living in uh, comfort. He just he couldn't tolerate it. He stayed outside his house. He sat the, at the door, and he wouldn't go in because he wanted to suffer as his comrades were suffering. He was a great man, obviously a great man. Well, David, you know, he got him drunk and tried to get him to go home, and that didn't work either. Well, finally, David had to do something. So he told his general, Joab, I want you to send Uriah 
and I guess it's his little platoon or group, whatever it was, send them up against the wall. Now, that's something you never do in a battle on a fortified city. If you go up against the wall, they, you know, they're going to pour hot oil over the top and scald you alive. Or they're going to stone you with stones. It's easy. Nobody runs up to the wall of a fortified city. You, you, what are you going to do when you get there? Look up at him and holler? So Joab did what David told him to do, and just as David hoped, Uriah died, as well as his comrades. They all died. David went to great lengths to cover up this sin. Deuteronomy 22:22 might help us understand why he was so concerned. The law of Moses was, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man and the woman who lay, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. According to the law of Moses, which supposedly David followed, he and Bathsheba were both supposed to be put to death for the crime that he committed. David didn't want it. He wanted to live. So he devised this scheme of his simply to cover up his sin so that no one would know what he had been doing while Uriah was out fighting a war. Well, why, why commit the sin in the first place? And that's what I want to talk about. Why commit a sin that was going to lead you to such a heinous cover-up where you would sentence men to death that you didn't even know? Innocent men. Why commit the sin? Why be with Bathsheba? It makes no sense to me. But it does make a lot of sense. It has to do with the human body. As, as, as beings living in this human body, we are susceptible to lust. John talks about it in 1 John 2, verse 16. All that is in the world, you want to summarize sin, you got it right here. It's going to tell you the reason behind all of our sins, any of our sins, every sin that men are prone to commit. All that is in the world. What is that, John? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These are the things that cause us to stumble. David, lust of the flesh. He saw Bathsheba without clothing. He got excited. He liked what he saw. And he wanted to see just a little bit more. He did. And because of that, men had to die. Boy, that's not good. That's not good. Someone says, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing on the top of a house. That's common in the Middle East. People do a lot of stuff on the top of the house. In the summertime, it gets very hot, or the springtime. It can get very hot inside them houses. And people go up onto the roof, and they do a lot of different things on their rooftops. Bathsheba, uh, whether she was out 
trying to be seen by the king. I couldn't tell you that. I see no reason to believe it. But she was uh, simply doing what we all do, except they didn't have a bathroom to get in and a shower with a shower door. It was very different. Now David looked at her. He saw her flesh. He liked what he saw. She was good looking. He wanted her to come home with him for a few minutes. And then the sin was committed. James says that each person is tempted. I want to analyze this a little bit. Each. That's every person. Every one of us are tempted. How? By the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. All of us are. We live in human bodies. And as long as we do, when we get out of these bodies and go on to Hades, we won't have to worry about that stuff anymore. The body that gives us so much grief, we leave it behind. And we go as spirit beings into a disembodied state. All, each person. Well, what about Jesus? Well, even Jesus was tempted. He, he lived in a body, did he not? The Hebrew author tells us, chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Now, the word point, you notice, is italicized. It's not in the original text. So I'm going to blank out the word points and put in another word, which is just as good. He was tempted in all ways, just like we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. He had the same temptations. The difference was our Lord didn't follow through. He was tempted, yes. But he turned the other way. And the temptation was removed. That was the difference between him and us. So all of us are going to be susceptible. And all of us need to understand how important this particular matter is. Because there are times when we ourselves might not sin. But we might cause someone else to sin. What if Bathsheba was hoping for the king's attention. Well, David was guilty, no doubt. But wouldn't she be partly guilty also? Well, sure she would, if that was her motivation. <clears throat> he goes on to talk about being tempted. Sometimes in the Bible, we read the word tempted, and it means to be tested. Well, that's not the meaning of the word in this particular place. The meaning of the word is a solicitation to do evil. We're tempted to do what's wrong. Eve was tempted in the garden. If you eat the fruit, you will not die. God lied. You won't really die. Go ahead and eat that fruit. And then you'll be as wise as God himself. And oh man, did that fruit look good. So Eve ate it. You see, it's always the same thing. Every sin can be traced to one of these three reasons. Because it's the way we're designed. It's the way our, well, why did God design us that way? So we would overcome those temptations. It's called building spiritual muscles. He gave us an outlet for sex, for example. Get married. I heard this morning on television that 70% of black children are born into homes where there is no father. Think about that, please. 70%. And it was a black man who's made that statement. 
I was stunned by it. It seemed so hard to believe that that much fornication goes on. Well, what about white people? I don't don't know if it's the same or not. It might be for all I know. But there's a whole lot of fornication going on, a whole lot of sin being committed, and some of them being covered up. Each person is tempted. How, James? When he is lured, enticed by his own desire. Lured, lured, lured. You ever go fishing? Ever use a lure? I heard a guy in woods explain this one time. I've never forgot it. Imagine the fisherman. He wants to catch a big fish. Big fish knows the fisherman's there. So what does he do? He hides. He gets in under a rock. The grass goes up around him. I ain't going to get caught by that dude. Well, the fisherman, he's pretty smart, too. He knows what the fish is going to do. He's going to hide from him. So what does he do? He decides what it is this fish really likes, and he casts what we call bait. Oh, man, that fish looks at it. You got to look at it. It looks good. That, that bait looks as good to that fish as Bathsheba dipped David. That fish ponders and thinks and wonders, and it has a great desire for that bait. Well, he's lured out of his hiding place. He's enticed. He really wants that bait, man. It looks good. So what is it? He gets hooked. And that's the way, according to James, that's the way sin works. We have a desire. We get lured. And we get enticed by that which is forbidden. And if we're not careful, we'll bite. We'll be hooked. And we'll have all matters of problems. Think for a moment, if you will, that the fisherman is Satan. Of course, you and I are the fish. (laughs) What kind of lure is Satan going to use? We already read it. It's going to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He knows us. He knows us well. He knows our weakness. He knows our weak points. He knows what drives me nuts. He knows what drives you nuts. And he'll use that knowledge against us. Like a fisherman, he'll select the bait. He'll cast it out before us. And tomorrow we may have to deal with it. question is, what are we going to do? And that's an important question. Well, desire, when it conceives, like a baby's conceived, it gives birth not to a child, but to sin. Sin is born. The law is transgressed. We're hooked. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth eternal death. The stakes for us is much higher than the stakes for a fish. The fish gets consumed and it becomes ash or whatever, you and I, we face eternal judgment. And that's a very bad thing. Brother Woods, he commented on what James said. He said, desire, seeking satisfaction, prompts us to sin. It looks good. Now I want it. What's next? Satisfaction. And that's what moves us to sin. Nobody else makes us sin. Somebody else might be the bait, 
but the choice is mine and yours. So we can't blame anyone else, no matter who it is. Desire seeking satisfaction props to sin and the individuals caught, trapped, ensnared, or as we sometimes say, hooked. Forbidden pleasure, however great the desire for it may be, should be rigidly excluded from our lives, lest we be caught in Satan's snare. We need to be wise. We need to be wise in the things we allow ourselves to experience. We shouldn't go places where things might be dicey for us. Lusts may be aroused. Desires may be aroused. And sin could just lie right around the corner. It's not a sin to see and have a reaction to it. Like, wow! As long as we walk away from it. And we have to make a difference there between the two. Lust and fornication. The fifth, cha the fifth chapter of Proverbs is what Solomon wrote about. Lust and fornication, which is common to all humanity. I've heard psychologists say that uh, fornication, lust, that kind of desire, was uh, our number one weakness the strongest drive we have in us other than our mind is that that we find appealing. So he spent a lot of time, he addressed it to my son and then he told him about lust and fornication, the dangers of it and about those who would tempt him to do what he knows he's not supposed to do. But I just want to see the last two verses. The iniquities of the wicked, those who try to lure him, they ensnare him. Like David was snared by Bathsheba's beauty. And he is held fast in the cords of sin. He won't run. He could run, but he won't run. He won't run because of desire. Desire is what kept him looking. Desire is what made him inquire. Desire is what sent for her and brought her back to my house. He was driven by his passions. And this is what Solomon is talking about. What happens after he is caught or hooked in sin? He dies for a lack of discipline. In the original, the word discipline here means to restraint. He failed to restrain himself. There's lusts, but the lusts went unchecked. He didn't, whoa, he didn't pull the horses back. He didn't turn around. He didn't walk away. He didn't restrain himself. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. He does what he's not supposed to do. Objectify, that's a word, especially our young people, I want you to keep in mind because it's a very important, very important word. Everybody wants to look good. 
sometimes, well, it's not necessarily in younger people, it's everybody. Sometimes we want to be seen as alluring. We want to be striking. We want to be remembered. We want people of the opposite sex to look at us and say, ooh, ah, when they look. We don't think about it that way. But we go to the clothing store and we purchase certain clothes. We'll put the clothes on. Put the clothes down and you get a little dress and it comes up to there. And you look in the mirror and you think, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they're going to go ooh and ah when they see me in this thing. And you buy that dress and you go to the house. You go out in public. Sure enough, the guys look, especially young guys. Their hormones are raging. They're like a wild stallion. There's nothing they can do about it. Their hormones are raging. And they're trying to keep those hormones under control. And then they look at you. <laughs> oh, look at that girl, would you? Oh, look at that girl. She looks fine. He's young. He hasn't dealt with temptation a great deal. And his mind starts to wonder. He looks. He looks at them long legs that go up under a short skirt. And he thinks, I wonder what's under that skirt. And he tries to imagine what you look like if you took it off. He wants to see. He needs to see. And he comes up and says, Hey, baby, what are you doing tonight? And you feel so good because somebody noticed you. But listen, listen, that's called being objectified. Objectified means, in this case, you're not looked at as a human being. You're not looked at as a person. You're looking at an object for gratification. A synonym for the word objectify is diminish. It means your, your personhood is diminished. It's reduced to something other than what you have a right to expect. You're made in the image of God Almighty. You are of great value. You're worth so much that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you have a right to be respected for your personhood. But when you put on revealing clothes, clothes that reveal too much, I know it's hard to find clothes that don't. I've gone shopping with BR a thousand times and trying to find the right kind of dress or skirt, we go through a hundred of them because they're not made for her. <laughs> they're made for other people. Men will look, young men will look, 
hormones are aging. But they don't see you as a person. They see you as an object. They see you as a thing, as a means to an end. David sent servants to find out what, who Bathsheba was. He didn't know her. He wanted to use her for a half hour, and then he wanted her to go away. He didn't see her as a person. He didn't see her as woman. He didn't see her as a being made in the image of God. The only thing David saw was a way to gratify, gratify his sexual desire. When you don't dress modestly, when you don't keep yourself covered, guys are going to look, or girls are going to look if it's the guys. People are going to look. And you may not do anything, but if that person starts fantasizing in their minds, the Lord may hold you responsible. Because you may not have been adorned properly. It's not my place to tell people what to wear. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell you how long a dress has to be. Or how far is too far. That's not my business. We're all grown adults here. We've got enough sense to know when we are trying to entice someone else or not. And if we are trying to entice others, unless it's your spouse, <laughs> it won't work. Because the women are told, and it goes for the men too, without saying, that they are to adorn themselves modestly. It's summertime. Clothes are coming off. Be careful what you put on. Don't allow yourself to become objectified because you deserve so much more than that. 